Well, good evening. Nice, intimate group tonight. Isn't this nice? But that's okay. God wants us here. We're going to have a good night together. Uh, see a number of baptisms. That's a great special thing for tonight on Easter. Uh, just a couple of reminders in case you missed it this morning. This coming Saturday, work day in the morning. If you can make it, be a great help for us to take care of our properties. And then there's pizza and a play at night. Pizza at 6 o'clock, play at 7 o'clock. It's in here. And so you come and enjoy. Nice, relaxing evening that you can enjoy together. Bring friends, bring family. Uh, it's family-friendly play. So uh, come and enjoy that if you would. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I trust it's been a special day for all of us. And the day's not over. Help us to uh, appreciate tonight the things we're going to learn, the things we're going to sing, uh, the reminders again of some of the truths about Easter that we want to remember, and especially the baptisms tonight that will uh, reflect your resurrection and be a great testimony on Easter uh, of those who want to follow you. Uh, so give us a great night. Help us to honor and glorify and bless you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Let's uh, turn in our hymnals to hymn number 234. 234. I invite us all to stand. Let's sing tonight and crown him with many crowns.
take a few moments this evening and greet those that are around us. Let's take a few moments. Believe it or not, you're going to get all messed up now, because we're actually doing part of the sermon here. The sermon has three parts. Three of us are speaking tonight. We don't know what each other is speaking on, which could be interesting. I get to go first, so if I cover their thunder, they're in trouble. Uh, but Pastor Paul asked us, share some of our thoughts, anything about Easter, some of the special things of Easter. And if you just open your Bible for John, to John 17 for a moment. One of the songs sometimes we sing at Easter is is in our hymn book. It's called Lamb of Glory. Uh, Interesting, that phrase itself is not in Scripture, but there's another phrase in Scripture, another title of Christ that I've been interested in this Easter. And it comes from James 2.1, where James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's a title I'm interested in with Easter. And I'll explain why in a little bit. But the Lamb deserves glory. There's no doubt about that. But interesting that Christ is also talked about as the Lord of glory. Now in John 17, first five verses, John, or John records Jesus talking about his glory. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Interesting, Jesus talks about his glory. And yet during his earthly ministry, we don't see it a lot, do we? He kept it veiled most of the time. Some of you know some of the times he showed it, right? The transfiguration is a big time that we understand where briefly Christ showed his glory. Uh, John records that when Jesus did his miracles, he reflected some of God's glory and his glory. At the death of Lazarus, when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, it's recorded that he showed his glory there. But pretty much it's few and far between during his life. But look at the end of John 17, verse 24. Remember, we're still going to think about the title, the Lord of glory. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, most of the time we would look at that and say, all right, see his glory, that would be the resurrection, right? 
And yet when he's done with this prayer, verse chapter 18, verse 1 says, when he'd finished praying, then look what the rest of the story is. It starts a betrayal, the arrest, the crucifixion. Right after he says, I want those with me to see my glory, everything with the crucifixion and the death comes up. What does his glory have to do with all this? Flip over to 1 Corinthians 2. First Corinthians 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There's our title again. They crucified the Lord of glory, and if they would have known some things they couldn't know, they never would have done what they did. Was he the Lord of glory when he was crucified? We don't sometimes think about that, do we? Now, if you think about God's glory in the Old Testament, right? We call it the Shekinah glory. You see it a few, a few times in the Old Testament. And you ask yourself, what was God's glory? Why was it visible sometimes in the Old Testament? You think about Moses with the burning bush, and that supposedly is something that reflected God's glory, even in the burning bush, as God spoke out of the bush. And it revealed to Moses the place that God was at. He was on holy ground, wasn't he? You think of Mount Sinai when Moses went up. And God's glory was on there. When Moses came down, his face shone so much, he had to wear a veil because God's glory reflected, because it showed he'd been in the presence of God. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, you had the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, reflecting God's glory as he showed his power in leading his children out of Egypt. Then in Solomon's temple, when God's glory fills that temple when it's done, it shows the perfection of God, the splendor and the majesty of God. So when God's glory showed in the Old Testament, it had some specific purposes. Here's the question. Do those purposes show up at the cross? When the Lord of glory was crucified. Let's go to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 2. They crucified the Lord of glory. Remember, the Shekinah glory showed where God was at, the place that he dwelled. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, 
Here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. We'll stop right there. 17a, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Where did the Lord of glory showed up? Where was his dwelling? On the cross, in a body. The glory of God in a human body. You realize most people now want ascribe in you know, other cults and religions. They think because somebody being a man, they'd rather be a god. Well, this is God coming to flesh and showing His glory on the cross in a body. So He's crowned, verse nine, with glory and honor because He suffered death. And by the way, that is now permanent. That glory permanently shows in that body now. Secondly, does it show his presence? Was the Lord of glory present all through the crucifixion? Look back at chapter 1 of Hebrews. Verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his wonderful, powerful word. He is the Lord of glory. Then what's it say? After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Was the Lord of glory present throughout the crucifixion? The answer is yes, because this had to be an eternal salvation. Only God could achieve this. Only the Lord of glory could show his presence in this crucifixion in dying for us. Verse 8 says, but about the sun he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. This will be forever and ever with the Lord of glory. Does it show his power? Look back at chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Realize he was glorious in the power he showed on the cross, the power to destroy him who holds the power of death and free those all their lives held in slavery. Remember our verse in Corinthians said if they'd have known what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory because his glory brought all this stuff in. Does it show his perfection? I'll just read to you Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. How glorious is it to get an impossible thing done the first time? He did an impossible thing one time, first time. That's glorious. Then verses 17 and 18, we read 17, he became a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This was the perfect sacrifice followed up by the perfect high priest. He didn't just stop at salvation. His glory shows in the fact he's now our high priest. They crucified the Lord of glory, and we see God's glory all the way through 
not just the resurrection, all the way through the crucifixion. Interesting. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I'll read to you. When they got the temple done, and Solomon had, makes his prayer, he finished praying, chapter 7, verse 1, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. What should be the reaction when we see God's glory? Faces to the ground, worshiped, gave thanks to the Lord, and they said, he was good. And this was eternal. His love endures forever. Because the Lord of glory is involved, it's all good, and it's all eternal. They crucified the Lord of glory. And in keeping right along with those lines of singing to the Lord of glory, we're going to ascribe to him that glory now as we sing, Thine is the glory of him 227, 227. We can remain seated as we sing, 227.
Good evening. It's my privilege to pray for our Missionary of the Week, Arlene Cheney. Arlene has been twice retired, retired in, Cal in Colorado and then again in Florida, and that's after serving the Lord. She left this church 62 years ago to serve the church, even before the sanctuary was built, over in the chapel. But she was, she was sent from this church 62 years ago, has served the Lord faithfully ever since. So let's take her before the Lord. Father, we thank you for all of our missionaries. We thank you especially tonight as we remember Arlene and her many, many years of service, her and Ray, Lord, as they continue to, to do what you ask of them and go where you ask them in Colorado and Montana. And Father, we think of Arlene as, as she continues your work in Penny Farms, as even though she's been retired for a long time now, she, she continues to serve you whenever and wherever and however she can. We thank you for her ministries, Lord. We ask that you continue to bless them that you bless her through that, that you continue to, to comfort her as, as she's been without Ray for several years now. We just continue to ask that you watch over her and help her to serve you with every breath that you give her. Thank you for all our missionaries, Lord, and thank you for this church that has a, such a heritage of sending missionaries around the world. And Lord, we, we now think as we take up our offering, we think of the many, many things that we can do with your money as we support our missionaries, as we support things here and around the world. We just thank you for this offering. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lord of heaven, Jesus, Lord of heaven, I do not deserve the grace that you have given or the promise of your word. Lord, I stand in wonder at the sacrifice you made. With mercy beyond measure, my high debt you freely pay. Your love. your love is deeper than any ocean higher than the heavens reaches beyond the stars in the sky. Sing Jesus your love. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Sing, Jesus, Lord. Jesus, Lord of heaven. Oh, I do not deserve the grace that you have given. Lord, I stand in wonder at the sacrifice you made. With mercy beyond measure, my high debt you freely pay. 
deeper. Your love is deeper than any ocean higher than the heavens reaches beyond the stars and the sky. Sing, Jesus, your love. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Your love is deeper than any ocean higher than the heavens reaches beyond the stars and the sky. Your love is deeper. Your love is deeper. stars in the sky. Sing, Jesus, your love. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no I'm going to invite us to stand for one more song. Let's sing this together. <laughs> sing about I will worship. <laughs> sing I will worship. I will worship. I will give you all my worship. 
So I deal with this thing that is kind of a, I guess, a blessing and a curse at times. Um, I don't like a lot of nostalgia. You know, I don't mind flashing back a little bit uh, to childhood, but I don't like to live there. I like to live in the present, and I like to think about the future. Um, we were talking about that a little bit this week at staff meeting when we were talking about Good Friday service. And, and I'm one of those guys who, you know, Good Friday, I can't just think about Good Friday. Yeah, I reflect on what Christ did for us, but I'm thinking about Sunday morning, so I can't just sit there on Friday. And so when Pastor Paul asked us to talk a little bit about, you know, our reflections of Easter Sunday, I, I kind of deal with the same thing. I, I sit and I reflect a little bit about Easter, but I'm looking forward. That's just how I am. And uh, so we're, we're looking at different aspects of the resurrection tonight, and, and I want to look beyond the resurrection. <clears throat> because I think the resurrection is just the beginning. Jesus didn't just come back to life. He's alive today, and he reigns. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to jump around to a lot of spots tonight, but uh, let's, let's start here with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Jesus is alive today and he reigns. The Apostle Paul here says in, in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and, is, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And Romans 8 34 says, who is he that condemns? 
Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, so not only is Jesus alive, but he's reigning. He's reigning. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he also intercedes for us. We just read that in Romans 8.34. We, we read more of that in Hebrews 7.25, where we're told, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So he died. He rose again. He's reigning and sitting at God's right hand. He's interceding for us, and he's returning for us one day. See, that's what gets me excited. Not just that he rose again, but he's returning. In the middle of all that, he's working in our behalf. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says this. Um, as we get to this passage, we find that there's this great multitude in heaven uh, shouting praise to God, followed by the 24 elders and living creatures who are falling down and, and crying praise to God, followed once again by another great multitude that sounds like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, praising and worshiping God. And when we get to verse 11, we read this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he brings and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so what we have here is this picture, and in the verses that follow we see this great war that ensues between Jesus, the beast, his armies, and the false prophet, and Jesus takes them all out. Now we often have these pictures of Jesus, and we have you know, Jesus in the flowing white robe, and he's a gentle Jesus, and, you know, takes the little kids and puts them on his lap, and, and we just, we sometimes, I think, just get this picture that Jesus is just very gentle and calm and docile. The picture that we have here is not that picture of Jesus. I was reading a number of years ago a book, and, and the author's talking about the different images that we have of Jesus and describes Jesus here in Revelation 19 is, is one of those guys that's, you know, cowboy up, you best not mess with him, ultimate fighter type Jesus. You know, somebody who's coming to take people out. He's not coming in gentleness at this point. He's coming like a lion. This is the resurrected, reigning Jesus coming back in force and makes it very well known that he is alive and that he is king. And it's in the power of, of the same resurrected, reigning, coming again Jesus that we're told to live today. Philippians 3, 10 through 11 says, I, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And back in Ephesians, kind of where we started in chapter 1, verses 17 to 20, Apostle Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's what excites me about Easter. We have a risen Savior who's reigning today, who's interceding for us today, who's coming again with power, with might, and calls us to live for him in the meantime. You get back to back now. And uh, I would like to look to the past and be nostalgic. <laughs> and we're all different. What if Christ had not risen? If you'll turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll pick up the reading in verse 12. I'm really thinking about one word tonight. It is a coordinating conjunction. You remember coordinating conjunctions? I think it's something like and, but, for, nor, or, so. There is a coordinating conjunction in our scripture tonight that belongs in the Hall of Fame of coordinating conjunctions. And it's something that I trust that we'll be able to see and will be a blessing to us, but it'll take us a few moments to get to that. Beginning with verse 12 as we read, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. A little bit of background that will help us to understand what's going on here. Some people at Corinth had posited this premise that there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul answered their arguments twice in what we just read by tying it in with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply stated, it was, if there was no such thing as a resurrection, then Christ could not have been raised. 
And what he's saying to them is, you, you really don't want to think that. You don't want to suppose that for even a moment. You don't want to be saying there's no resurrection because if there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. You don't want to think about that because look at all that you will lose if Christ has not been raised from the dead. So you need to rethink this whole premise, this whole position, because you're throwing out a lot of very important things in the process of what you're doing. And he lists several. If Christ had not risen, it says we would have useless preaching. Don't go there, some of you. But we would have useless preaching, in particular, the preaching even of verses 1 through 4 that we've looked at already during the course of this Easter season. Uh, that talks about the gospel, that talks about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that would be useless preaching. There would be no meaning to those words. The gospel would no longer be good news. The gospel would fall quicker than a bear market. It would plummet from being of first importance, as we read this morning in the early verses, to being of least importance. The good news would become no news. Interesting that the word for useless that's used with useless preaching means empty or vain or devoid of truth. It's literally used of vessels or bowls that contain nothing. Think of a mirage. That's what the preaching would then be. Secondly, he says, if Christ had not risen, there would also be a useless faith. And you look at that in verse 14, whose faith is it? It says, your faith. It says, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's also empty, and that's void of any substance at all. There's logic here. If the preaching is empty, and your faith is based on the preaching, then your faith is going to be empty also. Verse 17 uses a different word to express the same idea. This time it's the word futile. That's a stronger word than useless in verse 14 means that our faith would be completely fruitless. There would be no success, no results. You could cultivate, you could water, you could do everything, you could weed, you could do everything possible, but there would be no results. If our faith is useless and futile, think about that for a moment. As a church, what should we do? We should probably sell the church, recall all of our missionaries, bring them home, disband all of our working committees, live for our own pleasures. If what we've been preaching is useless, if our faith is useless, if it's futile, then why do we keep playing? And that's a ramification if there's no resurrection and if there's no resurrection of Christ. Thirdly, if Christ is not risen, there would be untruthful preachers, not just useless ones, but untruthful preachers as well. And not just Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles, but all of those who preach about a risen Savior, all of them would be untruthful. All of them would be lying about God. They would be false witnesses. They'd be no better than the charlatans of the Old West peddling their miracle elixirs or the televangelists who prey on the naive people. I'd have no truth to preach. In fact, I couldn't be a preacher anymore. I'd have to get a job. There Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there are so many preachers already who are viewed as frauds, money-grabbing schemers. Now there would be no preacher alive telling the truth. Fourthly, if Christ had not risen, there would be an epidemic, it tells us, of unforgiven sin. You look at verse 17. 
absolutely an epidemic of unforgiven sin, every one of us would still be in our sins. Every one of us would be on our way to eternal separation from God. Every one of us would be guilty of sins that could never be forgiven. We would be on our way to hell. No one or nothing could stop us. Christ had not been raised from the dead. His death would have no atoning value at all. He would have proven himself only to be a man just like others. His death couldn't have even paid for his own sins. The resurrection was necessary to demonstrate the acceptance of the Son's work by the Father to show that our forgiveness was real. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That is so that we could be declared innocent. Someone said it this way, the resurrection is God's amen to Christ's it is finished. In our Romans road, you're familiar with the Romans road. We share that with those that we would like to see come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be no good news after the bad news. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They would be helped, I've fallen and I can't get up. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, and it would stop there. There would continue to be death. There would be no, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And lastly, if Christ had not risen, then all of us would be uncomforted Christians. That's what it says in verses 18 and 19. According to verse 18, all of those who have died in Christ, Peter, Paul, Calvin, Wesley, Moody, your dear loved ones, other famous Christians, all would be lost. There could be no comfort anywhere. And the word for lost here doesn't mean temporarily misplaced. You know, I've lost my keys. It's not that kind of lost. It means to destroy, to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put an end to, to ruin, to be delivered up to eternal misery. There's no comfort there. There wouldn't be any comfort that we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 after the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, therefore, comfort one another or encourage one another with these words. There wouldn't be any comfort because Jesus wouldn't be coming back because Jesus never left the ground if there was no resurrection. According to verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And that word pity means the Christians would be totally miserable, more than even other people. Christians are called to suffer, to be persecuted, to endure or remain under immense pressure. The sufferings of this life would be for a faith that is only a fiction. It wouldn't be worth anything. What a mess if Christ had not been raised. We'd have useless preaching, a useless faith, untruthful preachers, unforgiven sin, uncomforted Christians, moral chaos, no hope for anything better or more. But thank God for verse 20. And thank God for the Hall of Fame coordinating conjunction. Because verse 20 says, but in sharp contrast to this erroneous thinking, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Aren't you glad for that little coordinating conjunction? 
that belongs in the Hall of Fame of Coordinating Conjunctions. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The but creates the contrast that is there so clearly. We can think about what it would be like if Christ had not raised from the dead, and it's an awful thought, but he has indeed been raised from the dead. That's a thought that stayed with me throughout this Easter season as I kept thinking in terms of the fact that it's real. Christ has indeed. We say it a lot on Easter. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Where do we get that from? We get that because but introduces us to that thought here in the scriptures. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Let's pray and thank him for that. Heavenly Father, thank you that we've seen again our faith is real. It is not useless. The preaching, the gospel, the comfort, the forgiveness, all of these are not futile. None of these are wrong. Every one of these is real. Thank you that Christ has been raised, and all the ramifications from that are true. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's close tonight's service by taking out our hymnals, and we're going to sing together hymn number 228, Rejoice the Lord is King. And I'm just looking through these lyrics, and I love verse 3 where it says here, The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. And we're going to be singing to him this evening. So let's stand, hymn number 228. Let's sing together.
may be seated. We have the privilege now of seeing a number of folks who have decided that they would like to follow the Lord Jesus and obey him in the waters of baptism. And we're starting with two ladies that I'm privileged to be able to present to you who are going to share why it is they want to be baptized and what they think about the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Ethel Pope, and I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior uh, as a very young age, a young teenager. And I want to be um, baptized tonight because it, I know it's the command of the Lord, and I want to be obedient. I also want others to see Christ working in my life and that I can be an example to them and to let them know the joy and the peace that's mine because the Savior's mine. And uh, I owe so much to the Lord, but also to my dear other family here at Alden Union, my spiritual family. They are such encouragers and through many of the, uh, my years here at Alden Union, they've stood behind me, they've encouraged me, and I've just really been blessed. And I thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. Thank you. We're going to do something a little different with sprinkling tonight, and that is we're going to sprinkle those who are seated, because we want them to be able to help us to identify in the death and the burial and then the resurrection into new life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ethel, thank you for being our first volunteer to be sprinkled in this way. I know that I volunteered. Oh, I hope you didn't hear that she just said she didn't know that she volunteered, really. <laughs> Ethel, because you've confessed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now if you'll stand and represent that newness of life the Lord Jesus gives. God bless. Thanks. And you may be seated. constantly. He's just about the first thing I think of and thank every morning when I get up, and he's definitely the last person I talk to at night before sleep. I feel very blessed to have found Alden Union. I'm blessed because I have a very good church family. I'm more than blessed because I've got my own family here that came to visit and witnessed for me. And uh, I just wish that everybody could let Christ and God take control of their lives, because I have learned when you try to take control, and I'm a controller, don't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But if you let God control, it's amazing where you go and the peace that you feel. 
And Cindy, because you've confessed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. My name is Howard Phipps Sr. and uh, I've had the privilege and been very blessed to have uh, been adopted into a loving Christian family. So from the, the day I left the hospital, uh, my parents raised me in the church and I became saved uh, even before I can almost remember at this point, uh, probably around the age of five is when I was saved. And as far as baptism goes, I was baptized, I was as an infant. But uh, up until two weeks ago, when Paul spoke on it, I had never associated obedience with the fact that I had not been baptized. And as the Holy Spirit started to convict me through the service, every little excuse that popped up was in Paul's sermon. And uh, he spoke of an, another chairman of the uh, committee that, like that, most people would not even think that I wasn't baptized. No one would know. Uh, I think even my children didn't know whether or not I was baptized. So it was easy to come up with excuses, but the Holy Spirit continued to convict me, and uh, I knew right away, and I let Paul know that day that I needed to be baptized. So that's why I'm getting baptized tonight. Howard, because of your profession of faith, and your declaration of your love for Jesus Christ and that you have trusted him as your, your Lord and Savior. It's my privilege, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ as my Savior probably in about third grade, and um, I am being baptized tonight because I believe that it's a command that we're supposed to follow. Cheryl, because of your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because you've accepted him as, as your personal Lord and Savior, it's our privilege to baptize you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Craig Speakman. I grew up in Roarsford, and I grew up in a church family, like many of us do, but I was stuck on legalistic things and thinking that I was doing the right thing, but I just wasn't woken by God yet. And I lived my first half of my life up to my 30s, and I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And then he kind of broke my leg like a shepherd does to a lamb that wanders off, and he put me around his neck and carried me for a while until I got to know him personally. And now that I can walk, you know, I follow his steps because he is my shepherd. And that's why I'm getting baptized because 
you know, by his grace, I am saved and I will live for him and then until he calls me home and I'll be with him forever. because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's my privilege, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Ronald Stryker. I was born and raised uh, a Jew. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking. I'm one of the chosen people, and uh, but chosen. Uh, so now I will go through my life, not really knowing Christ, with the exception of TV, movies, and friends. Then I got married, and to my wife Simone, who you'll see shortly, and she uh, showed me the true light of Jesus, and I started reading the sequel to the Old Testament, which is one of the better sequels I've been known to man, and. Uh, through that, through Christ coming to me, I've joined, uh, coming to this church two years, and last year I felt the Lord call me. And I am truly choose, I chose, and I'm here because I have chosen him as my personal savior, and, uh, and I'm proclaiming my love and dedication to him to become a, uh, a good and faithful servant. That would help. because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's my privilege, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, my name is Simone. I grew up in the Christian church. I became saved when I was 15 years old. I accept the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and he's been doing wonders for me since then, and many more miracles every day. And today, I make this official, and I'm asking God to write my name in the book of life so I can see when I leave this life. Amen. because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Anna Sullivan. Uh, I was brought up in the church. I believe God was with me all the time, but I didn't really know it. Uh, seven years ago, my daughter uh, died. And uh, that night, after everybody had gone, um, I called on the Lord because no one else was there. And he said, my best friend uh, to my door within, I guess, a half an hour or so. And I think then I realized who my savior is. 
and I have been saved. And to think that, that God gave his only son to save our lives and to save us from sin. What a wonderful thing. I'm so happy to be in this church and I'm so happy to be baptized. And because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, because of your desire to be obedient, it's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Lauren Kostovic. I was brought up in a, in a church in a Christian family, and um, when I was in sixth grade, my friends invited me to go to summer camp with them, and I went to Camp Halawasa, and I think that's where I first really understood who my Savior was and what he had done for me, and where I became saved, and also where I met my future husband, my now husband, and um, since then, God has been so good to me and blessed me in so many ways. And I wanted to show my faithfulness to him and out of obedience to the Lord, uh, be baptized. Lauren, it's because of your profession and faith in Jesus Christ and your obedience to his holy word. It is my great privilege as your brother in Christ and as your husband to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you close with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, where it is a day of recognizing of your glory, Lord, where you've given us a reason to be here. And Lord, these baptisms are a wonderful recognition, Lord, and remembrance of what has already taken place in our lives. And we thank you for your sacrifice and your love for us. Dismiss us with your blessing, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. <laughs>